Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by our friends over at Paleo Valley, and one of their products that I use on a regular basis is their apple cider vinegar complex, and I use it to help support my energy, my blood sugar, and to promote good digestion. You guys have heard me talk about the importance of stomach acid in the past. Stomach acid helps us prevent against pathogens. So when we eat food, pathogens come in like parasites and bad bacteria. Good stomach acid helps kill those things. It also helps us break down protein and absorb minerals and different nutrients. Well, apple cider vinegar is one of the best things you can be using to help promote the right amount of stomach acid to be produced. And that's why I take this with meals. On top of that, the apple cider vinegar, really it's really good for blood sugar stability. See, when you have blood sugar imbalances, that can make you crash in the afternoon and cause your body to hold on to fat, especially belly fat, which makes you feel hungrier more often. You have cravings. Well, good news. You can actually take apple cider vinegar. Research has shown that it helps reduce the glycemic load and improve your insulin sensitivity, and that is really key for all-day energy. On top of that, it helps with weight loss by lowering your fasting blood glucose, by increasing your metabolism, improving your muscle performance so you can crush your workouts, regulating your appetite so you feel like you're in control and you're not just driven by your hunger and cravings. It also decreases insulin, and that's key because insulin is the fat storage hormone, and insulin, more insulin we have in our bloodstream, the more inflammation our body's going to produce. So apple cider vinegar is powerful for getting insulin under control, bringing down inflammation, and helping you burn fat for fuel. So what I love about the apple cider vinegar complex is it's 1,000 milligrams of apple cider vinegar, about a one and a half tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, and then they also combined it with other warming herbs. They have 300 milligrams of turmeric, one of the most powerful anti-inflammatory herbs, 300 milligrams of ginger, and turmeric and ginger really synergize to have a powerful anti-inflammatory effect in the body. They're also great for the digestion, for gut health, for stomach acid production. There's also 150 milligrams of cinnamon in here. We know cinnamon is one of the best things for blood sugar support and 50 milligrams of lemon. And lemon really is good for stomach acid production. Bile flow helps stimulate production of bile, pancreatic enzymes, so we can really digest our food optimally. And Paleo Valley, all their ingredients are all, they're all organic. So no toxins in there. And it is really pure and it works, guys. So definitely check this out. You can go to paleovalley.com, use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15%. I know you guys will love this product. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Got a 
amazing health doctor here. And we're going to talk all about diet and probiotic protocols for gut dysbiosis, SIBO, and gut inflammation. Dr. Michael Ruscio, he has been on the podcast before. We had a great talk. We talked all about gut dysbiosis back then. I can't remember exactly which episode, but uh, it was a powerful talk and uh, it was one of the favorites uh, for my audience. And so we brought him back. And Dr. Ruscio, if you don't know him, he has a great book called The Healthy Gut, Healthy You. He has Dr. Ruscio Radio. He has the Future of Functional Medicine Practitioner newsletter. So if you're a practitioner out there, definitely a great thing to sign up for. And Functional Medicine Formulations, as well as his supplement line. You can find him at drruscio.com. And Dr. Ruscio is doing some awesome things in his clinic. Uh, a lot of research, working with a, a wide range of different clients, and he's been using this thing called probiotic triple therapy. And so we're going to go into detail and really uh, get his take on that and the findings he he is his clinic has uh, has been putting out and finding with this sort of therapy. So Dr. Ruscio, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Well, last time we talked, we talked all about gut dysbiosis. We talked about a lot of the nutrition strategies and the things that you talk about in your book, Healthy Gut, Healthy You. And so let's dive into that a little bit more. So let's talk. Let's start by talking about what is gut dysbiosis and what's the difference between that and SIBO? Great question. Dysbiosis is essentially imbalance. So it doesn't mean overgrowth as SIBO is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. So that's an overgrowth of bacteria too much. Dysbiosis is more so an imbalance, almost maybe a, a crude analogy would be your tires are a little bit misaligned. So that imbalance can just wear down your axles or just wear down your health over time. And that, that dysbiosis specifically can cause things like inflammation. It's been correlated with a number of disease states. So it's important to keep in mind dysbiosis because there will be people who are thinking, oh my God, I have all the symptoms of SIBO. Check, 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 check. They get a breath test, it's negative. They're like, well, what do you mean? I, I, I know something's wrong in my gut. Well, it may not be overt overgrowth. It might be imbalances in the community and that's dysbiosis. Yeah, so that's a great summary right there. And uh, with SIBO, we're talking about bacteria that's translocated because most of the bacteria should be in the large intestine and it's pushed up into the small intestine. What is the issue? What's the problem that occurs when that bacteria moves into the small intestine? And there's there's two theories on this. The, the kind of reigning predominant theory is like you said, this retrograde from the colon where there's a lot yeah. of bacteria refluxing upward into the small intestine. And this is a lot of Mark Pimentel's work who's done some amazing research in mapping out the mechanisms and some of the etiology underlying SIBO. But Richard McCallum, this other camp, uh, he's, a, he's also a gastroenterologist and he published a really elegant paper that found a high number of SIBO cases were actually oral bacteria mm. that made their way down into the small intestine. And this ties in with another couple items, which is we see a higher, and sorry if I'm getting a little bit nerdy here, but just bear with me. Yeah. Um, we see a elevated number of SIBO cases in those who are hypothyroid. Hypothyroid patients also have, generally speaking, a, a higher likelihood of having low stomach acid. There's mm -hmm. about a 30 to 40% overlap of those with hypothyroid and having low stomach acid. So if the oral bacteria should not be getting their way into the small intestine, the 
stomach acid helps prevent that from happening. So this might be what accounts for the fact that people with hypothyroidism have a higher incidence of low HCL, their stomach contents are not acidic enough, and that allows overgrowth to go from the top down rather than the bottom up. So there's two different directions it can come from, but um, in terms of what does the SIBO do, well, uh, bacteria are kind of like people. We eat, we fart, right? Uh, bacteria do the same thing. So this can cause a feeling of gas, pressure, distension, and bloating and discomfort. When the bacteria overgrow, they can also cause histological or tissue changes that look similar to celiac disease, actually, where, where the villi start to get smaller and you, you have this what's known as villus atrophy, and that can interfere with nutrient absorption, which is another one of the byproducts that can occur due to SIBO. And of course, leaky gut is wrapped up in that inflammation. And outside of the localized gut effects, SIBO has been correlated with things like rosacea, or yeah. even brain fog and cognitive impairment. I mean, probably preaching in the choir here, but mm -hmm. just to acknowledge that um, the gut, to a greater or lesser extent, is kind of where the party's at in terms of so much joint pain, skin issues, neurological conditions can stem back to what's going on in the gut. And that's one of the many reasons why SIBO, as well as dysbiosis, are important to be aware of. Yeah, that's interesting too, but that relationship between the oral bacteria going down into the stomach, uh, not enough acidity, so hypochloridria, and then getting into that small intestine and overgrowing there. Is there a, have you seen any research on a link between periodontal disease and increased uh, association with SIBO? Great question. I don't know that I've read anything that has associated the two. There may be papers out there. There are as you can imagine, and I'm sure as you read a lot of these, yeah. there are just so many papers coming through the pipeline. It's hard. I mean, it's literally an hour of reading per night just to keep <laughs> up with the high quality studies, right? If you filter out the more speculative animal data mechanism, uh, you can't even keep up with it. And I say that as one person with two other research people on our team together trying to stay abreast of this. Yeah. What I can say though, is there's some connection where there have been enough clinical trials showing that probiotics help with periodontal disease to where mm. there have, has even been a meta-analysis finding that the, the aggregate trend in the data is that probiotics, to a greater or lesser extent, do help with uh, periodontitis. So there is some connection there. I'm not sure SIBO specifically, but I wouldn't be surprised if some researcher at some point documents the connection. Yeah, and that's interesting as well, because I know that there are some companies out there that have created specific probiotics that you basically just take in almost like a mouth, mouth rinse, right? That you're just kind of putting right in your mouth specifically for oral care. And so when you're talking about probiotics helping with periodontal disease, are you saying taking them like swallowing pills that support your gut? Correct. And then that having an effect of basically helping support the microbiome in the mouth. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's oral bacteria. And you see the same thing with, let's say, recurrent yeast infections or UTIs. Some of the studies have used suppositories, but there's now a real growing body of evidence finding that you can prevent recurrent UTIs or bacterial vaginosis with just oral probiotics. Mm. Um, and this is probably due to the fact that the oral probiotics have some direct systemic effect, but then through attenuation, if you will, or bolstering of the immune system. This is probably why you see a number of things improve in the, in the vaginal cavity, let's say, but also people who have runny nose from histamine, that also improves because as you modulate 
this very dense colony of immune cells in the small intestine, that has an impact on so many other kind of areas extra or outside of the intestines. Yeah, it's interesting how all those mucosal membranes, right? Like the gut is probably the largest interface between the immune system and kind of the outside world, but all of those mucous membranes, like in our respiratory system, uh, our, our mouth, obviously areas, different areas like that, or even our skin, there's kind of this communication process that's taking place. And so when we're supporting one of those areas, it seems like from my experience working with clients and, uh, you know, uh, I think you would agree with this, that impacting that gut mucosa and impacting the gut microbiome makes the biggest impact in that relationship, as opposed to like something you might put on, uh, you know, on your skin on topically, or, um, perhaps like, you know, and these things do help like little sinus sprays, um, you know, different things like that. They can definitely have a positive impact, but it seems like the biggest hitter is the things that we're doing with the gut. Yeah. I look at this just like you're saying as kind of a primary, secondary, primary start with the gut, reevaluate symptoms. And then let's say there's still this chronic rhinositis, then, okay, maybe we try some sort of oral rinse or nasal spray, what have you, but you'll knock a lot of those things out. If you get the, the trunk of the gut situated, a lot of those branch symptoms will resolve themselves. Right. Yep. Now in the SIBO world, um, oftentimes we're looking at different types of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So you've got your methane dominant uh, SIBO, which tends to, you know, you tend to have things like constipation tend to be associated with that, although not always. And then you have your hydrogen dominant uh, SIBO, which tends to have, or at least this has been the talk that that tends to result in diarrhea, right? Or loose stools. And so what is the difference there? What is going on with those two? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. There's a fairly strong general trend that methane overgrowth correlates with constipation, not exclusively. I think it's important for all of us to keep in mind, you know, you can find a person with a high methane and they have diarrhea. Um, so, you know, sometimes patients are like, well, yeah, what does this mean? Well, you know, there's a correlation and it might be 80, yeah. 85%, but there's always going to be that, you know, variance where people don't fit that exact mold. And, and that's okay. As long as we're treating this issue, then we should see a lot of the downstream effects or negative effects rectify themselves as we treat upstream of uh, whatever imbalance is present in the gut. But you're totally right. The methane correlates with constipation. The hydrogen correlates with more of this diarrheal, looser bowel presentation. And it's been more adequately demonstrated over the past few years that methane results on the tests tend to be a flat line. They're pretty consistently, you'll see just this flat line where with hydrogen, you're looking for a elevation, a rise. And then the most recent North American consensus expert um, opinion paper came up with a revised set of guidelines of needing to see a rise of 20 points or parts per million for hydrogen from the baseline, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the methane, any point above 10 is considered positive because the, the way the, the physiology works is the bacteria that produce the hydrogen, that, that gas is used as fuel for the methanogens. So you see this kind mm-hmm. of delayed effect and that's why there's a flattening, at least we think of the methane as opposed to this um, more variant curve with the hydrogen. And there's also this new player, hydrogen sulfide, which is is similar in this pseudo flatline presentation as the methane. Yeah. And, and the hydrogen or the hydrogen sulfide bacteria, 
I had heard for years that, well, this is a common thing in functional medicine. It really has to do with the methane as well as the hydrogen sulfide bacteria that with SIBO, you should never give probiotics, right? That was kind of the kind of the, the dogma or what, what people right. used to say all the time was if somebody has SIBO because they already have too much bacteria in their small intestine, don't add more bacteria, right? Don't add more, add more probiotics. Instead, you want to use different herbs to help kind of trim down the, the amount of bacteria that's in there. Sure. However, I know you've done a lot of work in this area and shown that probiotics can actually be very beneficial. Exactly. Yeah. And this is, um, God, this is something that keeps me up at night sometimes because I totally understand there's going to be debate on certain issues, but if we have adequate data to answer a question with a high degree of confidence, then there shouldn't be debate. And there can only be debate if I'm talking about meta-analyses and you're talking about theoretical mechanistic conjecture. And I had this conversation recently with, with a colleague, a conventional gastroenterologist who I like and I really respect, but it was maddening to me saying, you know, you're, you're still uh, gun shy about probiotics and SIBO. Did you see this recent meta-analysis of, I don't know if it was 18 clinical trials perhaps, finding, so meta-analysis, this is the yeah. pinnacle of scientific evidence. And his response was, well, Satish Rao out of University Augusta, he's positing XYZ. It's like, no, like you, you can't counter argue with, you know, against a meta-analysis with one researcher's conjecture. But <laughs> this is still happening. And I don't think anyone's doing this with malintent, right? But it's yeah. just, well, you, you know, there, there's a book by Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Slow. And he dropped one piece of information that I thought was incredibly insightful and speaks to this, which is there's not a direct relationship between IQ and being protected from bias. Mm -hmm. So if you have an intelligent person who's biased, they can actually spin a more convincing argument, right? So I think right. that's what gets some patients into trouble is they'll, heal, they'll hear, excuse me, people saying, you know, don't use probiotics if you have SIBO, but in the face of the fact that there's more than sufficient data to show that probiotics can be quite effective for SIBO. And the other thing that makes us a real travesty is there was recently another meta-analysis that found the effectiveness of probiotics and rifaximin both clock in roughly 50% in terms of SIBO resolution. If you combine them, the efficacy jumps to 85%. Hmm. So what makes this such a travesty is if you apply this in a logical sequence, start with probiotics, reevaluate. Are you better? Yes or no. If only partially better, add in either herbal antimicrobial therapy or rifaximin, the antibiotic, and now what you can do is you can prevent harsher therapies like antibiotics or antimicrobials for the cohort that responds fully to the probiotics. And for those who don't, you have a 35% increase in efficacy if you combine the two therapies. So this is part of the reason, sorry if I'm getting worked up, but you know, this is part of the yeah. reason why I'm so passionate about getting the word out there is we see too many patients in the clinic who have just done Rifaximin, Rifaximin, maybe Rifaximin plus Neomycin, and they've, they've regressed, they've improved, they've regressed, they've improved, they've regressed, and we just get a foundation of probiotic therapy underneath them, and all of a sudden they have a much more prolonged remission, and I mean, it's not really that difficult. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and I remember the last time we talked, you had talked a lot about how probiotics, we have to stop thinking of them as actually like cultivating uh, you know, and, and growing and populating the gut and more of kind of a transient um, balancing effect in the gut, 
right? Kind of nudging the gut in a certain direction to help optimize the overall scope of the microbiome. And I think that most practitioners out there are looking at them as if I give you this strain of probiotic, then, you know, and you're taking this every day for a month, the next time I test your gut, you're going to have high amounts of this particular type of probiotic, but we're not really seeing that necessarily. We're just kind of seeing a nudging effect towards balance and uh, basically modulating it, balancing that, that gut microbiome. Yeah, I mean it's it's incredibly well said. You know, there. I mean, we should acknowledge there is some evidence showing that some probiotics do take up residency in the gut, but the the thinking that okay, I'm looking at the stool test with low levels of X and high levels of Y, and so if I just make sure to give the low level X bacteria, that's going to resolve the problem. Firstly, there is literally only one study in existence that has done that, and it was funded by either the lab company or the supplement company, right? So one study, whereas there are hundreds of studies looking at, here's your symptoms. How can we best use probiotics for you as an individual? So the, the, you know, the, the personalized medicine that labs promise people to a large extent is actually hoodwink BS because these labs are making claims that they do not have the evidence to support. And what's a travesty about this is clinicians buy into it, patients buy into it, and we end up with the current paradigm of treating the labs rather than treating the person. And this is an area, especially gut care, where there's much more evidence from clinical trials for how we treat the person and their constellation of symptoms rather than how we treat these labs. But again, the lab companies have done such a good job of convincing people that the tests have predictive value, right? If you have this finding, we can treat you better, and within functional GI, that's not the case for the majority of the tests. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about one of my favorite supplements. It's called Curcumin Gold. You guys know I'm a huge advocate of turmeric, this Indian spice, and the different polyphenols and compounds in there that help reduce inflammation. The most well-studied is curcumin. Curcumin has been shown to outperform your typical non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen, Advil, and Tylenol in many different studies by reducing pain and inflammation without the harmful side effects. And what I love about the curcumin gold is that it contains turmeric curcumin extract. It contains vegan omega-3s made from algae, the long chain uh, omega-3 called DHA, which is so powerful for the brain, so powerful for heart health and reducing inflammation. It also has ginger oil. Those carefully selected ingredients support healthy joint function and address the root cause of inflammation within your body. Now, trust me when I say you won't find anything else on the market quite like this. In fact, my friends over at Purality Health have a patented formula that utilizes something called micelle liposomal technology which delivers nutrients directly into your bloodstream. And it's proven to be 800% more efficient than traditional supplements. Even better, it's backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee. And today, we have a 30% off coupon just for you. Visit PurityHealth.com. Use the coupon DRJ to access 30% off today. And when we're talking about probiotics, I know for myself, I would say, I mean, definitely for myself, I feel, I notice a difference when I'm taking probiotics on a regular basis. I just feel better. I feel 
more resilient. My gut feels more resilient. My immune system, I feel better in general. You know, years ago I had irritable bowel, um, intermittent fasting, diet change, and probiotics were probably the three biggest things that that moved the needle for me, as well as regular sun exposure, just sunbathing on a regular basis. So optimizing my vitamin D as well. So those are probably the biggest things that I noticed. And then as I got into practice, using probiotics, and it wasn't really, I wasn't doing it in a very scientific way. It was more of like, you know what, if I'm going to give this person three supplements, you know, based on their symptoms or questionnaire and this one lab test I have, what's going to make the biggest difference? And I would say time and again, probiotics was one of the, one of the probably probiotics and magnesium. I saw the biggest kind of needle movers for people as far as symptoms go. Um, and you know, again, it comes down to that immune modulating, that kind of gut microbiome balancing effect there. Now, what's interesting is in your book, uh, I know you've broken down probiotics into different categories and really helped us understand probiotics at a higher level. So let's talk about kind of breaking them down into these categories. Yeah, thank you. And, and I agree with your statement. I was a few years ago noticing that I still had some foods that wouldn't hit me right, especially if I, let's say I ate out and I had a couple glasses of wine, I'd have, you know, a little bit looser bowels and I'd notice it. I, I, you know, it wasn't terrible, but I didn't feel highly resilient. And then when I got a good probiotic protocol on board, I'm still not bulletproof, right? I can't go out and have Mexican food and three beers yeah. and, and feel nothing, but I'd say I'm pretty darn resilient uh, as compared to, you know, before even like a glass of wine and eating out would be enough to notice something. And I think it's important for people to keep in mind, you know, we can use these tools to go from inflammatory bowel disease that's so bad your doctor wants to put you on some sort of biologic, yes, but at the other end of the spectrum, there can be these subtle, somewhat annoying symptoms, and it can be more of like an optimization play for some people. So I'm, I'm almost exactly with you there on all three of those things, the fasting, the sun, and, and the probiotics. Um, and then with this, uh, I call it my couch reading. I spend about an hour per night reading abstracts, and I get sent an abstract on a whole array of different studies. So anytime there's a study published on whatever topic, I get sent the, you know, the email and after reading through this for a while, there was this interesting evolution where at first, oh my goodness, this probiotic, the first of its kind, documented to improve constipation. That's the probiotic for constipation. Mm. Then three months later, hmm, different probiotic also helped constipation. Interesting. Well, which one do I use? I'm not really sure. And you see the same thing with depression, right? The, the first company to bring a formula to market that documented in a clinical trial, the ability to improve depression, you know, they're going to put the word out there strong as I guess from a marketing perspective, you would expect them to. But then a few months later, different formula also helped depression. Now there's meta-analyses with different probiotics showing the ability to help depression, let's say. There's been comparative trials looking at different probiotics. Half the patients get the one formula, half the patient gets the other formula, same outcome of improvements in constipation. So if you take a meta view on probiotics, you see that different types of probiotics can all help the same condition. And if you keep reading, you see, oh, okay, there's different flavors. There's the Saccharomyces boulardii, that's the healthy fungus, trade name, biggest one out there is probably Floristore that you'll see over the counter. There's your traditional Lactobacillus bifidobacterium blends. This is your, your like your Visbiome or your VSL3. And this has the most research on it. This contains a mixing of different 
lactobacillus and bifidobacterium species, somewhere usually between five or 15 different species. So that's the other flavor. And then the newer flavor is the soil-based probiotics where you'll see bacillus of various types, bacillus coagulans, bacillus subtilis, bacillus lichenformis. And some studies will use one, some will use two, some will use a different two. But as more and more research comes in, you see, huh, you know, the lactobacillus bifidobacterium probiotic has been shown a few times now to improve constipation. Mm, new study, soil-based probiotic also improves constipation. So then you look at it on this meta level and you say, well, there's a bunch of studies that have found Saccharomyces boulardii can help condition one, two, three, four, five, six. Same thing's been documented for lactobacillus and bifidobacterium blends and similar findings for the soil-based. So maybe it's not about using probiotics like drugs, but rather trying to get these three different flavors into someone's system. So we have the strongest and most diverse probiotic presentation into someone's gut that we can. And we call this probiotic triple therapy. We use this analogy of a stool like you'd sit on. One flavor is one leg, three flavors is three legs. Three is gonna be more conducive to support mm. and balance. And we have seen this in the clinic where someone will see a you know, quasi-improvement from one and logic would suggest, well, if one is partially helpful, then three would probably be better. We see this with antibiotic therapy. Two antibiotics yeah. work better for SIBO than one. Two antibiotics work better for H. pylori than one. So it's it's the same thing that we're trying to champion regarding probiotics and how to apply Yeah, them. and do you think this is because each of those types of bacteria are producing unique postbiotics? That may be affecting the overall microbiome, the, the integrity of the gut lining, uh, helping to kill off pathogens. Yeah, I mean, there's so many mechanisms through which this, you know, could be underlying this. Um, one of the things that has been observed is, and this is mainly in a model of IBS, and there's this trend that a multi-species formula works better than a single-species formula. So lactobacillus acidophilus as compared to lactobacillus acidophilus plus rhamnosus plus bifido brevi and what have you, the mixture works better than the one. So you know, to your question, why is that? It could be the postbiotics. It could be how these probiotics trigger pattern recognition receptors and TLRs or toll-like receptors in the gut that kind of tune the immune system. It could be they all secrete some antimicrobial peptides, so they treat the SIBO or mm -hmm. the fungus or the dysbiosis. It could be it's more effective through that immune modulation, through modulating leaky gut. There's, there's a lot of ways it could help. And to tell you the truth, I haven't thought probably as much as I could about the mechanism. I've been trying to first figure out, well, clinically, you know, how do we apply these? But you ask a great question, and it, it's, it's probably a half a dozen to a dozen different mechanisms that are occurring. Yeah, that's, that would be really interesting to figure out. And some, some individuals will respond really well with one particular type of probiotic, one of those uh, flavors, like you mentioned, or possibly two together, but maybe not with the other one, right? In some cases, some people don't respond well with Saccharomyces boulardii for whatever reason, or with um, a soil-based a soil -based bacteria, but they may respond well with the others. And this is, uh, this is a great question. And 
I think the, the key observation here to cue in on is for people who have displayed a history of being very sensitive. Mm. They, they yeah. react to a lot of foods, but also most importantly to a lot of supplements. So for them, right. what we do is we give them the three different bottles. Start with the one, give yourself a few days, and as long as that is neutral to beneficial, continue. Don't jump ship right away because there can be a couple days where there's some looser bowels or a little bit of gas as things are adjusting. So give yourself to the three to five day mark. And if some turbulence has not abated and smoothed out and it's persisting, if you're still having these, these uh, turbulent events, put that one aside and then go on to the second, go on to the third. Aim for all three but put aside any ones that cause persistent negative reactions. And what I found is that if someone can't tolerate one or two out of the gate, usually by month three or four, the immune system is more calm mm. and then they're, they're better tolerated. Yeah. So that's really good to note. So that the sensitive population is a very small percentage of the population, but oftentimes they are a percentage of the population that listens to podcasts like your, mm. yours and mine. So right. we always want to be mindful of them. And, and, and Absolutely. again, if you are sensitive, start one at a time, like you said, three to five days, but I'm like you, I've seen most people respond well on a combination probiotic or what you talk about probiotic triple therapy. And what have you guys documented? I know you guys have been doing uh, some research in your in your clinic on yeah. this. Yeah, that, well, I'm I'm really happy to announce that, and this is unofficial pre-publication data, but we've been we've been collecting data on patients, and we've documented now two cases, and probably more. I just haven't seen all of the all of the data yet. Two cases where we've cleared hydrogen sulfide SIBO with mm. triple therapy, and I'm particularly excited about that because anytime there's a new diagnosis, I'm sorry if I'm a little bit um, jaded, but there, there's always some supplement company that that's trying to leverage that for their gain. And there's always some exotic protocol from, you know, expert X, Y, Z and okay. Finding good new thoughts should be encouraged. But what bothers me about this is sometimes an existing tool could work well for the new diagnosis, but there's this weird human think, you know, human tendency to think new diagnosis, new finding, new treatment. And what's disheartening about that is sometimes patients end up using very experimental treatments that sometimes are also very expensive when a more tried and true core therapy could be beneficial. So we've been collecting data and that's what we've been documenting. We've been doing the, the trio smart by Gamelli tech hydrogen, uh, sulfide, hydrogen, methane, treat the three gases pre post along with a symptom, uh, scoring analysis. As a, in addition to the fact that with patients, we just see this, this observation that the three tends to work a little bit better than the one. But the reason why we're doing the enhanced data collection now is to be able to publish something so that providers can, yeah. you know, we can really prove it, right? Because if we're going to be championing this philosophy, at some point, we should produce some evidence to back that up. Yeah. Now, in, in, in this study, are you guys doing any sort of diet changes? Are they on a paleo diet? Are they on a low FODMAP diet? Or is it only the triple therapy? The way that we typically sequence things at the, at the clinic is we start off with two weeks on diet and lifestyle. And then we layer on top of that some sort of supplemental intervention, usually triple therapy. And when what we're doing the enhanced data collection is we're just inverting that order. And there was, you know, we really went back and forth. We want to make sure not to compromise patient outcomes for data collection. That's very important. But 
the more I thought about it and the more our clinical team went back and forth on this, we wanted to see would people do better with the dietary changes because we're front loading them with a therapy that will make them less reactive and yeah. they might be able to get away with more liberty on a low FODMAP diet, let's say, and they don't have to be quite as strict. So we felt it to be ethically justifiable. And so we're in, in certain cohorts, we're just flipping the order. Um, so it's the, the pro intervention first, followed by some dietary and lifestyle changes. But we, but we do try as a general rule to parse the therapeutics and not start too many at one time, just so we can learn from a individual system. I mean, sure, if we have someone do eight things, there's a high chance they're gonna get better. But what we lose there is, well, what were the main drivers for you? And that's really important because we wanna pick out the two or three things that really move the needle for someone so that if they do have a regression, we know what worked and it's not, oh, well, a year later, you were traveling and not sleeping a lot and eating bad food and your guts regressed. All we have is the eight things again. <laughs> yeah. So that's what's nice about the little bit more of uh, the tortoise approach, I guess you could say. Yeah. And I think that's really helpful as well, because, you know, a lot of times in functional medicine, we'll just put people on eight, nine supplements right off the bat because they have these nutrient deficiencies, you know, we're trying to support their immune system. And so it's like, okay, you need all these supplements right here. And as they're getting better, we don't really know which of the, which of those is making the biggest impact. Yeah. It's a tough balance, right? Cause you want yeah. to get people well as quickly as possible. But I would say there's also, especially for new clinicians. And, and when I was early in practice, I felt this pressure. You're like, Oh my God, I want to get this person well as quickly as possible. <laughs> I'll use this and that. And the other thing, and you end up just being way too test and supplement heavy. One of my, one of my friends uh, jokingly sent me a, like a hand drawn graph. He called it the Hedberg Ruscio competency index. And the more tests and supplements one used, the lower their competence was. So uh, yeah. I don't, I don't mean that you know to knock anyone, but I do think as you get more experienced, you use less tests, you you use less supplements, and part of that's just being more precise, but part of it's also having the confidence, not feeling like you have to be so heavy-handed with all the things that you use. Yeah, that's good. And so, what was the time frame that you're using with this study as well? four weeks on the probiotic. We were doing six weeks for a while and we felt that that was probably too long. Yeah. So we, we've shortened the interval to four weeks and, and usually we'll do about four weeks on an intervention and then check back in and see how someone's doing. So four, four weeks and you're doing pre-post SIBO breath tests. And then you're also doing like a symptom questionnaire. Yeah, we're doing an IBS uh, VAS visual analog yeah. scale. And this is something that we wanted to use what's known as a Likert score. And we actually, we checked in with Mark Pimentel on this and one of the things I learned and huge credit to him for having a really deep research savvy is that with a small sample size, it's very hard to demonstrate significance with a Likert score, mm -hmm. whereas a visual analog scale, like a one to 10 works much better and will have much better power in a smaller sample size, which we're hoping to have maybe 25 people or so. Oh, that's great. And when do you guys expect to publish this? Uh, and that's, that's much harder <laughs> to answer because, you know, we're, we're also learning with data collection that, the systems are really important. If we if we have too much for a patient to fill out, the follow up rate's pretty poor. So um, it, it depends on if we go for a small case series, like a six or four patient case series, or if we want to try to reach for what's known as a retrospective chart review, where we would probably need about twenty people. So depending on when we do our next kind of debriefing of the data that we have and and how how good of a follow through that we're getting, we'll either 
push forward for the RCR or we'll just do the the smaller case series write up. So I'm hoping within six months, I'd say worst case scenario, maybe a year. Yeah, this is great. You know, not many clinicians, active clinicians are actually publishing real research. And so I think this is really groundbreaking kind of work that you guys are doing is really um, it's really moving functional medicine forward. And so I just want to acknowledge you for that. And you got, you have a great book, healthy gut, healthy you. So I want to uh, point all my listeners to that healthy gut, healthy you. He goes through a lot when it comes to diet changes and just kind of basically, you know, doing some different trials on each diet, right? Different supplements, things like that, things that you should notice and really gives you a kind of a step-by-step protocol for seeing, seeing changes in your gut health. And we know that your gut health obviously plays a huge role with your immune health, your metabolic health, and really everything that you're dealing with. And so, you know, in functional medicine, we look to the gut first and Dr. Ruscio is definitely an expert in that. And so healthy gut, healthy you fantastic book. Um, have you noticed anything since you published that, that you wish you could go back and put in the book? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, with, with, with the rate, <laughs> that so. things, yeah, with, with the rate that things are changing, um, there, there's more evidence now justifying the triple therapy approach. Yeah. Uh, we've also released a product that has, so with, with triple therapy, when I said we send people home with the three different bottles, that's essentially taking three capsules out of one bottle, two capsules out of another bottle, two capsules out of the third bottle. Since then, we've put all those seven capsules into a single serving care stick. So that's something I'd want people to mm. have just for the convenience factor, because you know my, my buddy's wife, reminded me of this. She had IBS. She did phenomenally well on the three probiotics. And then two months later, she said, Oh, my symptoms are kind of coming back. And he said, well, you know, are you still doing the probiotics? Well, no, it was just a pain in the butt opening the three bottles and taking all the pills. And I said, okay, Mike, like you need to, <laughs> you know, do a better job with, with the convenience factor so that people that aren't super motivated, like I think you and I are, yeah. um, we have something for them. So that would be the one immunoglobulins is another therapy mm, yeah. that's been put more on my radar, uh, on my radar screen. Uh, and I'll probably do a revised edition, but the the good news is the core fundamentals still stand. We want to start off with a fairly, you know, um, quick cadence of three weeks or so on a diet. Don't dilly dally, boom, boom, boom. Let's find the diet that's going to work for you. It shouldn't take forever. It shouldn't be peeling of the onion. You should be able to notice with two or three dietary trials, the diet that's sufficient, and then move on to the next line of therapy of probiotics. And then from there, antimicrobial therapy. So, you know, that, that part still stands and it's a really awesome, I'm biased obviously, but starting point for patients and the, you know, the nuances around it more end of the protocol have evolved a bit, but that book is, I mean, it's still helping a lot of people and, and, um, you know, it's nice to see that because it's, it's not easy to get great care out there. I, I think patients to your point about diet, um, to maybe like pivot on it a little bit, they'll just read all this stuff about one diet and they'll go to the message boards and read about all the people who've done a great job. And they'll kind of shoehorn themselves into that diet and, and be on a diet for six months to a year. And I'm not sleeping well and my hair is thinning. It's like, well, geez, you know, you've been doing keto for a year. It never worked. At what point were you going to pivot? But I don't think they've been given this kind of big picture view on here's the three mm -hmm. or four diets we should have a high demand of the diets helping you somewhat quickly. And if not, here's the next one. But because that here's the next one's not laid out, they kind of flounder in the camp that their friends or, you know, you know, whatever are involved in. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think it's really easy as practitioners, health influencers to get dogmatic on whatever the diet or protocol was that worked for you. Right. And we, we do that. 
And we start sending that message and clanging that bell. Mm -hmm. Hey, keto for everybody, you know, uh, plant-based for everybody, whatever it is. But the reality is that it's kind of like a bell curve. There's people that are going to respond well to, you know, some things, maybe very plant-based, maybe heavy amounts of prebiotic foods. And there's other people that really need a very low FODMAP or very low fiber diet. And they're going to respond really well. And there's a lot of people that are in between, right? And so it's kind of experimenting, figuring out what's going to work best for you. And I, I, I think that you did a great job of explaining that in your book. Thank you. Yeah, that was that was my main intent. And I learned that, you know, to your point, the hard way, right? I, I yeah. was early in my career, pretty staunch about paleo. And then after a while, it's like, eh, like, it's not working for everyone. And I'm not going to tell the patient, well, you didn't go gluten free hard enough, or you didn't go dairy free hard enough. <laughs> I believe you, I think you did a, a sufficient job. So then I must be the problem in terms of my knowledge base. And, you know, low FODMAP was a big step for me, because yeah. it was so hard to conceive, eat less broccoli, eat less cauliflower, eat less asparagus, and you feel a lot better. But right now there's you know, so many studies that have, that have shown that and so much clinical experience reinforcing that. It's like, okay, I need to rethink some of, of that paradigm. Um, and yeah, after many years, you're kind of dietarily agnostic or at least one, <laughs> one hopes that, that they will be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a great interview, Dr. Ruscio, a lot of really good information. Uh, love what you guys are doing in your clinic. And I definitely want to have you back. I know we had talked before the interview uh, just about some of the things you're finding with hypothyroidism. So I want to have you back on down the road so we can talk more about that and uh, the findings you guys are, are seeing in your clinic with that. But thanks so much for your time, guys. Check him out, Dr. Ruscio Radio. Great podcast to listen to. And he also has drruscio.com. A lot of great content that they're putting out on a regular basis there. So Thanks again, Michael. Appreciate your time. And guys, definitely check out his website. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.